Welcome to season two of Open Deeply, devoted to exploring the relationships society pushes into the shadows. Kinky love, non-monogamous love, neurodiverse love, and more. Jack Cornfield says to open deeply requires tremendous courage, a warrior spirit, and unconventional love takes just that. So, join us. Together, we have the courage to open deeply. Here are your hosts, Sunny Megatron and Kate Lurie. Welcome to season three of Open Deeply. So this is our recap episode of how we got to where we are today and what season three is going to be all about. So in season two, we focused on love that gets pushed into the shadows. And now we're transitioning to season three, where, of course, we'll continue our intention that we've had across all of the seasons of Open Deeply. And that intention is to burn down shame and reclaim our power and... You may have noticed through listening, and if you're a new listener, go back and listen to all the episodes, the truths that society pushes to the shadows, that they don't let us live in an authentic way are the things that connect us, you know, sexual authenticity, fluid relationships, the pursuit of equity, magic of animism, the wisdom of plant medicine, and so many other things. And in this disconnected world, we do have the courage to open deeply and explore all of those areas. And when we do, we have a shot at deeper and more vast connection to all of life and all of what matters most. So before we dive in, I got to remind you that open deeply isn't therapy and it is not a replacement for therapy. So if you catch yourself at any point during this episode becoming emotionally overwhelmed, please get support. Call or text a friend, a therapist, or the nationwide crisis line that you can reach by dialing 988. All righty. So as we go through this episode, first we're going to recap season one really quickly, season two, and then we're going to start to talk about the amazing season three. So in season one, we started the podcast right after... Trump got out of office. The podcast started from a reactionary place. In the United States, it was so pressurized and people didn't feel like they could speak and people felt like they were being suppressed. And so we were like, fuck that shit. Let's create a podcast where people can have a voice. Let's bring people on that are beautiful social justice leaders that sometimes are suppressed. Give them a voice. Not only that, give them two episodes. One is their life story. One, we do a deep dive into those questions, but the life story was very personal. We did a huge deep dive to their most personal traumas and then their rise to power and how they overcame those things to the point that they became the social justice leader or the icon that they are today. Some of the things that were going on before we started the very first episode of Open Deeply was, you know, Ahmaud Aubrey had recently died. We were in the middle of a pandemic. There was a lot of censorship on social media regarding people that are sex educators and sexual psychotherapists such as myself. And so, again, we were just really trying to make sure that we could amplify people's voices. Yeah, so that was a lot of what season one was about. As I said, everyone got two episodes, but at a certain point, what we noticed was that 
there was so many commonalities from guest to guest, no matter how wildly different the guests were, their story of trauma and their rise to power was very similar, which was amazing given one person might be kind of a privileged person, another person might be a black or brown person. I mean, you noticed that, Sunny, right? Yeah, it was really interesting that all of our guests on the surface seem so different, coming from different backgrounds, whether it's the culture that they lived in, the country, their identities, their access to privilege, etc. And even though all of those details were very different, looking at that like overarching through line, it's like, oh my goodness, we are all living out the same stories. Like our life plot lines are real similar, which yeah, was like, I don't know, I had mixed feelings. Part of me was like, I guess I should have known this, but it still hit me like a stack of pancakes in the face. I know that's not an expression, but it is now. Uh, <laughs> but like, it was beautiful. Like, holy shit. Like, that was a in-your-face way of being like, we are so much more similar than we assume on the surface. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting. I was listening to this one researcher and he was saying that like the division that everybody is feeling right now that we're actually not as divided as we think there's a lot of research that shows that we have all these similarities in what we actually care about and want and love yeah i think that first season really showed that but at a certain point even though the first season i think we're both super proud of and it just had so much heart and so much depth because it started to be a little repetitive, it was time to go to a different take. And that's when we moved to season two. Mm -hmm. It's interesting how I now looking back, it's like you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. like, oh, I can see the framework of what we're doing. It's like, I think it was really important in season one to demonstrate how similar we all are and how connected we all are. Because then when we moved to season two, where we talked about things having to do with our most personal and most intimate relationships, which is love in its many, many, many forms. That was really important context to say, like, we are all starting from relatively big picture wise, the same place. And big picture wise, we're all grappling with the same sorts of issues, even though the details might look different. So yeah, I think that context was so important to what we talked about in season two. I also think it's going to be this is a little bit of foreshadowing really important to season three. One thing about season two, it's one of those things where, you know, we covered love when you're kinky and being in love when you're non-monogamous, being in love when you're a sex worker, being in love when you're neurodiverse. And especially with those first three I think the public and even people within those communities, a lot of times the narrative, it's very sexualized. Mm -hmm. You know, like the masses, when they look at folks that are non-monogamous, the monogamous masses, they're like, oh, well, those people are just having orgies and all this crazy, and they don't think we have boundaries and like all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And to like go, you know what? Let's not even really talk about sex that much. Let's talk about love. And let's really humanize people. And let's show their heartbeat and just show how love, like a deep, love operates in these realms. 
I think really is one of the most beautiful ways to break down stereotypes and even show the beauty of sex when the outside masses, some of them, not all people that are monogamous do that. I'm just saying some folks that are monogamous that are bigoted to some of these groups, they have a tendency to not be able to humanize these groups. They have a tendency Mm. to not imagine a real and healthy love. And so I think season two was really important, again, to break down shame and build up empowerment, which is kind of our through line intention Mm -hmm. all the way along. I agree. Yeah. Let's see. So going over season two really quickly, the other thing that I didn't mention is, yeah, we had six episodes where I talked about my book, Open Deeply. And I was super happy with the feedback that I got. Like I would find little Reddit threads where people were referring that those six episodes and people saying how helpful it was as an addendum to my book, Mm -hmm. which is exactly what I had hoped for. Right. So I love that it's being referred as a little, little package of six episodes that people are sharing and benefiting from. That's a wonderful thing. I don't know what, when you look back on season two, is there anything that stands out for you in terms of any of the episodes or any of the guests? Oh God, there's so much. I think that season two gave people what they really, really, really need when it comes to making things better in their interpersonal relationships. And that's, you know, not only hearing the stories and the lessons of other people, as we did with a lot of our guests, but also with this six-part episode going through detail by detail, step by step, here are better ways you can communicate. Here are, you know, actionable things that you can do in your relationship if you're non-monogamous and partners are also dealing with mental illness or other things that we don't normally see when we see like sort of the cookie cutter advice, like here's some good nonviolent communication tips. You know, we don't see the reality of our real lives interweaved into how the hell to apply those tips. And that's why I love your book. And that's why I love the six part episode that went through all of that, because that's stuff you don't see that often when you get these communication tips or relationship tips, etc. Right. Yeah. I just found in my private practice, if I just suggested something without a vignette, you know, if I just gave them tips or whatever, I would just get the scrunchy face over and over again, whether Mm -hmm. it's public speaking or whatever. But if I put it in context, if I put it in the form of a vignette or a story, then all of a sudden it was like, oh, now I understand. Like when you humanize things, when you put it in context, it makes all the difference. I think with season two, I just really love the heartbeat in it. You know, like, Hudsey Brooks episode where she talked about where she started out, you know, that first date, that first kinky date when she was in a kink frenzy Mm -hmm. afterwards she was where, you know, she didn't even know what kink was. Yeah. And she knocked on this door and this guy brought her into his home and into the world of kink. And just that journey that she went on that was not easy at first. I don't think it ever was. Mm-hmm. And I think so many people go through that with kink, right? Oh, yeah. If they're submissive, they get a bad dom that isn't so great. And then you have to live and learn until you find somebody who's kind, that knows how to negotiate a scene. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It very much reminds me of being a teenager. Like a lot of us could look back at our teenage years and be like, yeah, I had fun, but oh my goodness, I could have gotten myself in. I could have died. I did some risky stuff. I did because I didn't know. I was new at being an adult. And it's the same thing for a lot of us when we get into kink. It's like we just don't know and we're kids in candy stores and it's also exciting and it's also so fulfilling. We feel like we finally address this like hidden part of ourselves that's been starving and now we're watering it that after we're a few years in and we look back at like our first year in kink, especially if we are people who are of a marginalized gender, et cetera, and submissive. Yeah. We look back like, oh boy, Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when yeah. I started out being non-monogamous way back in 2003, so 20 years ago, I didn't even know about The Ethical Slut, you know, the book The Ethical Slut. I didn't, I, I had no guidance. And so I totally had to learn the hard way, you know, and that's part of the reason I wrote my book. So I know that there's a lot out there. But if we can prevent people from having to learn the hard way, I mean, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, the episode with Jet Setting Jasmine and King Noir, I mean, they oh. are just so epic. You know, Jet Setting Jasmine, just like the combination of being a porn performer and a psychotherapist yeah, is fascinating. I think she's probably providing such a service to her clients where they can really connect to her on a way that you don't usually see with psychotherapy. And you can tell her boundaries are amazing. Like there's a lot of psychotherapists that would look at what she's doing and they would question mm -hmm. her. They would question right. whether she had good boundaries. They would question whether she was commingling being a porn star with psychotherapy. And that's not the case. Like I, the, mm -hmm. what I can tell, like she has impeccable boundaries and the two of them are modeling such amazing stuff. And then King yeah. Noir, like, oh my God, he just is like, Dare I say, he seems like this perfect man. He's completely a feminist and he's all about all the different social justice causes and you can feel his pheromones through your computer screen. And then he's like so kind and just reveres her, reveres uh -huh. Jasmine. And it's just, I was floored by them. Yeah, yeah. They are so... So rare to find not only a couple like that, but a couple like that, that shares like, you know, that models for us that is so open with how they do things and so willing to admit when it's like, yeah, these are the mistakes I've made. These are just, yeah, I don't even have words. I don't even have words like they are just amazing. Yeah. And the part where she was talking about why she refers to him as a king. And why yeah. she's comfortable with that and why she enjoys calling him that. I, th mm -hmm. I thought that was really special as well. And also their, their intention of, you know, when they started out, they talked about listening to their mostly black audience and, you know, that black audience saying, why in porn films, why aren't we lit correctly? And why don't we see kissing? And why don't we see beauty? Why is it so bad? And how with their production company, they are giving a corrective experience to their Black audience and really yeah. a corrective experience for all of us. Mm -hmm. Yes, there's some great, you know, thoughtful, ethical 
adult entertainment out there, but the vast majority is just made for the male gaze, made, you know, for quick buck, reinforces all of the stereotypes and all the negative stuff we're trying to get away from. And, you know, in no way, shape or form am I saying like, oh my God, porn. I love porn. You know, it's that... The fact that we are porn literacy just as people, like we are so in the muck when it comes to putting things in perspective, that it is doing a lot of us a disservice to be consuming that kind of entertainment without that knowledge and that thoughtfulness and that context. So yeah, and they make it easy. They make it where it's like, we don't have to have all of that and we consume their content. And it's like, then it tells us like, oh, this is what you've been missing. You didn't see it before, but this is it. If people actually listen, like, you know, when we ask them, what could the culture do to love porn stars better? And I think it was King who said, realize that we're human beings. And as Mm -hmm. soon as you realize that a person is a human being, you might have a tendency to listen to them. And if you were to listen to them, you would learn so much from them as a couple. Yeah. yeah. So I feel really good about season two. I feel like it's a progression from season one. Mm-hmm. And now we're ramping into season three. Yeah. I'm excited about season three because, you know, as I said, as I was thinking of the different episodes, it's like the first one was more personal. You know, it's like we found our truth and connection through our stories and the things that made us similar from an individual perspective. And then in season two, we really took that and dug into the individual experience, like our closest and most personal things. And in season three, I feel like we're now like backing out our focus again to the bigger picture And looking at the collective and like the way shame works more systemically and, you know, all of that stuff, basically finding ways to, I don't know, break our reality, if that's a, you know, because our reality, what we most of us consider reality is just a series of completely made up social constructs, right, that are completely made up and based on a framework that is out to screw us all over and exploit us and keep us exploiting ourselves happily without realizing we're doing it through the control of shame. And, you know, so, yeah, I feel like season one and two perfectly pave the way for what's coming. Right. I mean, when you think about what shame does, it disconnects us. And so when we start to go into season three, And again, continuing with the theme of breaking down shame, but looking at all the things that disconnect us and then taking our power back and talking about the things that really empower us. You know, we list in our intro, you know, the the intro that's going to be for season three that you started out with, with this episode, our transition episode, where we talk about truths around sexual authenticity. Again, sexual authenticity is like, or just... Sex in general, we've been so shamed. When we disconnect from our sexuality, we disconnect from our body. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've said this before. One thing that I didn't realize until I was in my private practice and started really talking about sex way more was that people with heavy sexual shame, it's not just that they don't trust themselves regarding sex, you know, thinking mm-hmm. that any move they make, they're going to be a monster. 
but they don't trust their judgment regarding almost anything. And it's usually the religious right or right-wing politicians or right-wing family members or community that have instilled the shame. And they end up going back to the exact source that instilled the shame for guidance since they don't trust their internal compass. And it just becomes this vicious cycle. Yeah. And so we're going to continue to talk about sexual authenticity, whether it shows up in kink or non-monogamy or tantra or sex work or whatever comes up. We're going to continue to have amazing guests. We use the term fluid relationships. I feel like that's probably where we're moving Mm -hmm. is more towards fluid relationships. I don't know. We shall see. When I talk to my clients that are, say, gay, they don't use all these terms as much as my clients that are more het cis, mm-hmm. you know? Like what terms do you mean? They just come in to a session and they tell me what they're doing lately. Like last weekend, we had a threesome or right now we're just together. They don't use the word polyamory. I don't hear them saying even the word non-monogamy that much. Like they just describe to me what they're doing. Almost like when you see a word, with the definition, they're giving me the definition without the word, if that makes sense. Right. No, it, it totally does. Yeah. And I feel like with fluid relationships, again, when we start to shift into fluid relationships, meaning that we will allow ourselves, depending on our life circumstances, to flow between different forms of monogamy to non-monogamy, different forms in between that spectrum, then we give ourselves this freedom. And again, I think to allow yourself to be more fluid in your relationships, you come to that place when you have broken down a lot of shame. Mm -hmm. And you even see it in non-monogamous communities. Like a lot of non-monogamous communities are like, this is the way you do polyamory. And you need to stay in this little box. Ah, kink too. Yeah. You know, so it takes breaking down a lot of the shame within your psyche. It's, I think it's kind of a spiritual and psychological evolution of breaking down shame to allow yourself to be more fluid or like what you say in your upcoming book. And I hear you saying it on TikTok, et cetera, you know, that the kink is customizable, you know, which is a different way of saying the same thing. It's like saying that it can be fluid and shift to your needs. Mm -hmm. So that's another thing that we're going to talk about. And, you know, we're always going to talk about the pursuit of equity. We're all, this is always going to be a social justice podcast, right? Mm-hmm. And then the last part we haven't talked about much, is, which is, you know, talking about the magic of animism or plant medicine. We're all in our own little bubbles of community. And the community that I'm in or the echo chamber, if you will, that I'm in, I'm constantly hearing about non-monogamy and kink and social justice, but I'm also hearing a lot about reconnecting to the whole, you know, which animism is the idea that there's kind of spirit in everything and in plants Mm -hmm. and animals, etc. And then also a lot of people are doing various plant medicine journeys, or they're doing holotropic or pranayama breath work. And these experiences lead them to a place of realizing the importance of connection to the whole, this Mm -hmm. idea that love is way more than self-love, way more than loving one person, way more than just non-monogamy. It's way bigger than that. It's like this more expansive love of all things. And when you really drop into that deeper love, you start treating all life with way more respect 
you know, like the religious right wing says that animals and plants are here to serve us. When you shift to this mindset of, of love for all things that you feel deep in your bones, then all of a sudden you start to shift the way you operate in life. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, you know, we were talking about this before, like we arrive at the same destination, but you and I come arrive there through different pathways. Like, and the way I think of it is like, to me, everything you just said, you know, I don't know. A lot of people say when you do whatever it is, you know, whether it's plant medicine, whether, you know, whatever, some sort of altered consciousness, however you reach that, that like, well, you're escaping reality. It's just an escape of reality. And that's a bad thing. Yes, it's escape of reality, because what we consider reality is like not real. This systemic framework that makes no sense. <laughs> it is out to, you know, oppress us all. It is this attitude that we are there to conquer everything. Reality imperialism, like that animal is mine. That plant, This is mine. That's mine. You know, everything's there to be conquered. And it's like, to me, it's not necessarily a connection to something. It's a disconnection from everything else we think is real. Right. Because it none of it is real. Right. It's all made up for like nefarious purposes, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess one reason that I lean towards talking about things like animism is what I'm running into is that, how should I put it? I see this more in my private practice where people are revealing their underbelly. Mm -hmm. So many people are waking up at a higher rate than they can psychologically deal with. And what happens if you don't have the coping skills to manage the level of awakening that you're experiencing, then people step away. They quit waking up, they dissociate, they start having panic attacks or breaking down, or they just shift, they just stop waking up because they can't take it. They start getting depressed. Yeah. I try to offer people ways to up their coping skills game so that they can keep waking up because we need to keep waking up. Yeah. Like for you, Sunny, your path isn't plant medicine. It isn't animism, but you have your own path of how you cope. Yeah. And I think that's super important because there's going to be listeners who hear some of the things I say and they're like, that sounds wackadoodle, you know? <laughs> that sounds, <laughs> I don't relate to that. I'm never going to do that. That's not right for me. I know that you're going to be offering up a completely different lens. Well, it's like, you know, just like I say, kink is customizable. So is like your awakening or your connection to or break from or however you want to frame it. Like, you know, this kind of encompasses the themes of the first two seasons. It's like, we're all pretty much doing the same thing. Like we're all arriving at the same destination, but we are all taking different routes to get there. And we don't have GPS and we don't know how to read maps. So we need to experiment with different routes and different vehicles and different whatever to get us to our destination. And it's all the same thing, like what might seem wackadoodle to one person, but totally like the way to get to the destination to another. Not, one's not right or wrong. We're all different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as an outside observer watching the Sunny Megatron life, watching the Sunny Megatron show, it seems to me 
knowing you and knowing how awake and aware you are, which you're very awake and aware compared to most people, I would guess the way you're able to cope with all of that is one, I consider you a comedian. I think you're really funny and I think you're really creative. And I think the combination of humor and creativity that is there in every aspect of your life mm-hmm. is probably a big reason that you can tolerate being as awake as you are. Yeah, I'm all about play. And like, sometimes I just remind myself when I'm like, oh my God, it's like, none of it's real. I mean, it's real because we're in it and we got to deal with it. But really, it's all kind of bullshit. All of it is bullshit. And it's like, for me, I have to when I think about just the systems of like productivity culture, why are we working ourselves and not getting sleep and there's no health care and oh my God, can we afford our electric bill? It's quadrupled in the last year, like all of that stuff. It's like, yeah, okay, I got to do what I have to do to meet those immediate demands. But like the bigger picture of that is like, it's all bullshit. It's all bullshit. I just, you know, need to wade through the bullshit. And as I wade through the bullshit, I play. I poke fun at it. I highlight the ridiculousness of all of this stuff that we have no choice but to take so seriously. It's just really nonsensical. Yeah, I think as we, in season three, you know, continue to break down what is bullshit, we're also going to be talking about what we believe is true. What you believe is true might be different than what I believe is true. And we're going to have guests that come on and we're going to talk about some things that, again, society kind of pushes into the shadows, Mm -hmm. but it's on a bigger scale than what we've done before, a broader scale, as you said. And there's going to be a lot more range in the podcast in terms of what we discuss, I think, a bigger framework that allows us to have more fun with bringing on just like all kinds of amazing Mm -hmm. guests and not completely sticking to our lane in terms of it just being about sex and psychology. You know, we might bring in a scientist that specializes in something like plant medicine, or we might bring in a doctor who can talk to us about autoimmune diseases. There's going to be a lot of range and breadth, but it's still going to be within that concept of breaking from the conditioning and stepping into truth, authenticity, your human potential, all of that. Yeah. And also too, finding the golden nuggets you need to find through all of the noise. And this is something I've been grappling with like the last, you know, it's my latest thing where I'm like, this is a problem. How do I, you know, or it's a puzzle to be solved. Not really a problem, but it's a puzzle to be solved. It's like, I am feeling myself bombarded with so much information, so much really heavy information at such an accelerated rate that I was talking about this the other day. I found that my mindless scrolling, you know, like you're laying in bed at the end of a day, like I think about 2020 when the pandemic first hit and I discovered TikTok and I'd scroll through TikTok and it was like cat videos, cute dances, trends. You know, I come across an educational video every once in a while. 
And then it moved to doom scrolling, like all the bad things happening in the world. Oh my God, la, la, la. And now I'm scrolling for like really high level usable information to the point where I can't shut it off. And I don't know like, oh, oh, this is really important. I need to remember this. Let me write it down somewhere. Let me, like I'm always on and it's getting harder and harder for me to cut through the noise and the bullshit of like, is this really something I need to remember? Is this really the key to blah, 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 whatever. And I'm kind of a little like, woo, I need to figure out how to rein that in. That's my latest quest as a human. Right. I think everybody's struggling with that. I have so Mm -hmm. many people and clients that are saying, look, my whole business is around posting on social media constantly being on social media and all of that, it's causing their brains to start to work more like kind of like a little bit more like an ADHD quintessential stereotypical brain, like what we Mm -hmm. stereotypically think about, like where they can't focus on things and they're easily distractible and all of these things. They, and they don't like it, but then they can't step away because it's part of their career. Yeah. I've noticed like that mindless scrolling that used to be my way of disconnecting for a little bit and letting like my brain, I I almost look at it as like conscious sleep. Like when you're sleeping, your brain is kind of resting and recharging. Just the mindless, like used to be mindlessly watching reruns on TV or whatever. My mindless scrolling has become like, got to learn this, got to write this down. Oh my God, there's this issue. Oh, what if I do that? Oh, there's this new thing. Uh, I'm like the, my brain is constantly going and it is, yeah, I'm burnt out. I'm burnt out from thinking. And I, it's like I'm thought hoarding. Mm-hmm. Like these profound, important, like enlightening, awakening sort of thoughts mm-hmm. are like bombarding me that I'm like hoarding them. And then, then I can't stop thinking about them. And it's like, yeah. So I'm hoping like even though in here we're going to talk about more profound stuff, but I know that we talk about it in a way where it's like we're trying to cut through the BS and the noise and like zero in. I'm like, this is the stuff that really matters. This is like the creamy center of all of that that we're being bombarded with. Exactly. And, and yeah. to step back and really look at yourself, you know, mindfully, I can relate to what you're saying where I can go through a day and realize I've just stared at screens all day. And I'm sure my th- yeah. my cats think I'm nuts, you know, and it's just like, Let's step back and really with mindfulness and intention, look at how we want to build our lives, how we want to build our community and notice what's not working and what we need to focus on and make better. So with season three, we're going to keep working on that. Do you have any final thoughts regarding this transition episode? I'm excited. Every new season We're like, okay, this is our plan. And I guess it's anything in life. Like, this is my plan. Yeah. But then when you go through it, you're like, oh, but then this happened and that happened. I didn't think it was going to turn out like that. It's it's usually even better, at least when we're doing this stuff. So I'm excited as to not only what our intention is and where we're going, but to know there are going to be surprises that I cannot predict right now, but I know they're going to be good. And then we're going to do this at the beginning of season four, and we're going to evaluate season three, and we're going to be like, and then this and that, and things we can't even conceptualize right now. So that's what I'm excited about. Right. And just to let people know, so the first three episodes of season three, first, we're going to repost one of Sunny's episodes on American sex, Mm. which is about grooming. 
grooming within the kink community specifically. And then in the second episode of season three is just going to be Sunny and I talking about grooming, not just in kink, but also in non-monogamy and Mm -hmm. going deeper, like bridging from what she says in the previous episode, the one from American Sex, and, and just going deeper. And then in the third episode, we have a special guest. The special guest, her name is Rachel Kramps, and she wrote a book called Open that came out about the same time as my book, where she talks about transitioning into open relationships, being kinky, but also that the partner that she was with She had a lot of joy with him. She loved him in a lot of ways, but she did feel kind of shaped by him, manipulated by him. It felt like he had some narcissism. And so I think her book dovetails really well with this theme of talking about grooming in the first three episodes and and how it can have a dire effect within non-monogamy and kink. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And even just... Any old adult life, any situation, any relationship, romantic, you know, the same principles apply to family, employer-employee relationships. Like a lot of the stuff that we talk about, whether it's, you know, in those episodes or just in general, is transferable to so many other contexts as well, which, again, it shows like it's that shared commonality, even though the details might be different. Yeah, yeah. You know, when I listened to your episode of, of American Sex on kink and grooming, I was like, oh, my God, this episode is phenomenal. We have got to expand upon this. Aww. Yay. Yeah, I, I love that episode. I think it's just so packed with important information. So I'm excited to have this three part series. So I think it's time to wrap up this episode. Yes. Yeah. And I hope listeners, you're excited about season three as we are. And that you will continue to follow, subscribe, and dare to open deeply with us. It's going to be an amazing season, and we're excited to go there with you once again. Thank you for listening. Find us online at opendeeplypodcast.com and on social media at Kate Marie or at Sunny Megatron. Check back bi-weekly for new episodes. And until next time, remember, your authentic truth is only found when you dare to open deeply. Intro and outro voice by the queen goddess, Frenchie Davis. Intro and outro music by the Baltimore Bull, Rob Burrell.